Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Well, we're talking in this message series about Paul fighting the good fight. And we've been able over the last few weeks to extract just a few passages and a few moments in the Apostle Paul's life where we can learn and apply those lessons to our life. We haven't looked at his whole life from birth to death, but we've been able to extract some moments that will help us on our journey. Because one of the things that comes to mind, Jesus told us that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but to me, it would be a shame for Jesus to go through all that he has gone through, to endure the cross, to teach about the kingdom, to sacrifice everything that he sacrificed, and we not live an abundant life. We not live the life that he has called us to live. Yes, a life of sacrifice, a life of selflessness, but a life that we're the head and not the tail, the life where we're more than conquerors. I mean, did he do all of that for nothing? When we think less of ourselves than we should, that's what we're saying, that he's done all that and it doesn't matter. We're still nobodies. We're still not overcomers. We still suffer in ways that we shouldn't suffer, okay? And, and uh, it's a slap. It's a slap in his face. Jesus didn't come so that we could live that way. We are overcomers. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are one who walks in life and that more abundantly. I am that person. And so we have to recognize who we are, if not for ourselves, for Jesus who died on the cross for us. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is one who certainly his life and the life that he led, a life of sacrifice, but a life of teaching, a life of giving, uh, is one who would reiterate to us those principles and those things that we need to do to have an overcoming life. And one of the things that Paul told his young apprentice, Timothy, in fact, if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, but one of the things he told his son in the faith is that he uh, needs to fight the good fight. He needs to fight the good fight. Now, Paul told us that we need to fight this fight. And one of the things that we have to realize is that it is a fight. A fight is a confrontation. Come on, a fight is, you know, one of the things that we don't understand about a fight, the definition of a fight is that a fight is a violent struggle where there is an exchange, watch this now, there's an exchange of blows or an exchange of weapons, okay? A fight is a violent struggle, and you and I are in the fight. The question is not whether we're in a fight, it's just what are we fighting? And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments this morning, that I think we fight the wrong fight. Some of us realize that we're in a fight, but we're fighting against the wrong things. And we're going to see what Paul is telling us to do. But this fight, this violent struggle 
with uh, exchange of blows, with weapons and all of these things. We have to understand that a fight is not like shadow boxing. I don't know if you're familiar with the boxer, but one of the things that a boxer will do leading up to a fight, they'll, they'll spar with another person, but then also just to be in shape, they'll shadow box. That means they're fighting against their own shadow, right? They're doing these things, but nobody's around them. They're just sort of getting in shape. Well, the fight we're in is not shadow boxing, folks. It's not that. This is not just hurling a few insults at your enemy back and forth. No, 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 no. This, this, is, this is a conflict that we're in where you'll give and receive blows. And one of the things I think that we uh, fail to realize or we leave out of this definition uh, that we forget about is the word exchange. You see, in a fight, there is an exchange. We just don't give blows, but sometimes we receive blows. So are we going to get up and keep going? We forget about that. And Paul told Timothy to fight a particular kind of fight. So living an overcoming life isn't something that comes automatically to us. Yes, you are more than a conqueror, but you don't just wake up in the morning and everything is already conquered. You've got to live out the day. You've got to fight. There's something that you have to do. We know that we're in a fight because the scriptures speak of things like uh, on the narrow road. Come on. And about Jesus said, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. The Bible uses words like work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Be even more diligent to make sure that your calling and election is sure. See, Paul would tell us that there are things that we have to do, that we have to do. We've got to get up and do these things in order to live an overcoming life. So there's no doubt, there's no doubt friends, that we are in a fight. The good news is that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for us, and if we receive that Spirit, we now have everything we need to fight the good fight. So then what is this fight that we need to fight? We look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. You're familiar with this. Uh, many of you are familiar with this particular verse, but Paul is telling Timothy, he says this. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He told him to fight the good fight, but not just any fight. He told him to fight the fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith. Flip over another page to 2 Timothy and look at chapter 4. I'm going to look at verses 6 through 8. Watch this. Because Paul now is at the end of his life, and he's given back. He's given back all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom that he's learned. He's pouring it back into his young apprentice, Timothy. And he tells him in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's, he's ready to go. Watch what he says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all, that is you and I, we are part of all, who have loved his appearing. 
He said, I am being poured out. And then he said, I have fought the good fight. What fight? He said, I have kept the faith. We have to understand how important that is, that he put those together. He fought the good fight, but it is a fight of faith. Why? Why faith? Why faith? Why is it so important? You know, when someone doesn't know that they're in a fight, not only will they lose the fight, won't even fight back to try to win because you don't know that you're in a fight. So we have to know that we're in a fight. We must wake up to the fact that we're in this fight every day. And listen, it's not just a fight for your lives. You're not fighting for your life. Jesus already did that. Understand that. He died on the cross. He said, I came that you might have life. So you don't have to fight for your life. But a lot of people say, I'm fighting for my life. Well, in Jesus, you don't have to fight for your life. He's already done it for us. For by grace you are saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He's already done that. You don't have to fight for your life. And a lot of people also say they fight for their sanity. Well, you don't have to fight for your sanity. Why? Because he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and what? Come on. Yes, a sound mind. So you don't have to fight for your sanity. Go to Jesus for that. Not just a fight for your security. This is a fight for faith. Faith. Why faith? I'm going to give you a few reasons of why we need to fight for our faith. Besides the things that the scripture already tells us, those things you already know, the just shall live by faith. We walk, move, and have our being, right, in the Lord. But it's through faith that we do. We live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why is faith so important? I'll give you three reasons. It's because, first of all, what you put your faith in is keeps your attention. That thing that you believe in, that thing uh, that you have faith in, that keeps your attention. And your attention is important because if the enemy can get your attention off of God, then he's got you. Then he's got you. And secondly, what you put your faith in brings out the best in you. Whatever you put your faith in, you'll, you'll give everything to that. You'll get, even if you don't accomplish everything that you want to accomplish, you'll give it your all. You'll give it your best because it has your faith. You believe in it. And then what you put your faith in also brings out your, your finest work ethic. That's your integrity. You, in other words, you'll do it right. You'll take your time to make sure that this thing is done right. And if it's not right, uh, you'll say, let's back up. Let's do it again. Let's do it over. Let's, let's, let's take up what we've already done and do it again so that it's right. Let's, I've written something down. I don't really like that. Let's throw that away. Let's do it again. It'll get your best work ethic. It'll get all of your integrity out of you because you have faith. You believe in that thing. And if the enemy can get you to kind of halfway live a Christian life, then he's got you. He's got you all the way. If he can get you halfway, he's got you all the way. Come on, somebody. If he can get you halfway, he's got you all the way. God doesn't want half of you. He wants all of you, right? Because if he has all of you and he has your heart, then overcoming. You're overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. But the enemy distracts us. He distracts us. And so we have to understand what fight are we fighting? Let's fight the right fight. Let's fight the right fight. We sometimes hear people say that they are going to fight the devil. Let me tell you something about that. You might not believe this, but don't, 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 don't turn me off just yet. It's not your job to fight the devil. 
no matter what you think. You might think, I need to go out here and fight this devil, but it's not your job to fight the devil. I can tell you on one hand, the devil is in, it, the devil is in the spiritual realm and has been around a lot longer than you have been around, knows a lot more tricks than you, you know. So if you're just going to go and try to fight the devil, you won't win it that way anyway, all right? And then it's just a distraction. He wants you to, he wants you to look at him instead of what you're supposed to be looking at so that you're distracted. You know, instead of looking at an abundant life, instead of looking to the heavens, instead of looking above, like we talked about on Wednesday in Bible study out of Colossians, instead of looking to those things that are above, he's got you looking at him and what he's doing. He's a clown, and he's got you looking at him, talking about let's fight, and you want to fight the devil. No, that's not your job. Another reason why it's not your job to fight the devil is because he's already defeated. I know you might want to take all the glory. I know that you might want to uh, say, you know, look at what I did. You know, I beat up the devil. But I want to tell you this. It's impossible because he's already defeated. Jesus already defeated him on the cross. And then when he rose again from the grave, he put the devil to shame. He made a mockery of your enemy. So he's already defeated. All he's doing is biding his time until such a time where he's going to be in the lake of fire. And so we have to realize that. Don't go around saying, I need to fight this devil. It's not your job to fight the devil. The devil does all he can to bait you into a fight with him. Jesus already defeated him. So we, we hear all of these things. Remember in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, remember God said through the prophet, he said to tell Judah and then also tell King Jehoshaphat, don't be afraid because the battle is not yours. The battle is mine. The battle against your enemy belongs to God, okay? And he will not lose that war. He's not lost it. In fact, he's already won it. So don't, don't go around saying, I have to fight the devil. No, we have to fight the right fight. I've also heard people say that they're going to fight sin. Again, you might want to turn me off on this one, but I'm here to tell you, your fight is not against sin. And I'll tell you why. It's because sin, what is sin? We look at sin so differently. We read it in the Bible as to what it is. We'll quote it. And when I tell you this verse, you'll, you'll know it. You'll quote it. But it's so difficult, it's difficult for us on a day-to-day -day basis to understand that sin is just missing the mark. There's the mark that we have to go for, and we miss the mark. And that's what sin is. But we focus on the miss. Think about, uh, you know, I give these sports analogies. Think about a basketball player or an archer, or an archer right? An archer, if, if an archer is uh, in the Olympic Games and they're going for the mark and they pull back that bow and that thing misses wide left, what do they do? They say, all right, I got to go again, and they pull another arrow out. That's not what we do with sin, though. When we miss the mark, we start concentrating on the sin. We shouldn't do that because our battle is not against the sin. Sin is missing, and you, you're always going to miss the mark without Jesus. So our focus should be on him. I guarantee you, if you fill your life, fill your, your spirit with the Holy Spirit, fill your mind with the word of God, you won't have time to sin. There will be no room in your life. If that's what you're trying to do, if you're trying to get to a place where you don't sin anymore, instead of trying to fight against the sin, turn your eyes toward Jesus. Go to him, run to him, have a devotion time, have a time of prayer. Come on, have a time where you read his word, memorize some scripture. You get that in you, then you won't have to worry about sin.
but we try to fight against sin. It takes, it takes all of our attention away from what it's supposed to be on. Jesus is the cure to sin, so we need to go to him. So understanding that we're in this fight, I just want to let you know that being in a fight, you're going to have adversaries. You're going to have those that oppose your fight. First of all, your adversary is you, <laughs> walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh, number one, is the biggest adversary we have to the fight of faith. Understand that we're fighting the fight of faith. That's what we need to have. So what if, remember when, when, when Peter, when Jesus was telling Peter about him denying him, he's going to deny him, and he's, he's just talking to him, and he, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, the, the devil wishes to sift you through his hands like wheat. So he's telling him he's in a fight. This is for you this morning. He's telling him, you are in a fight, and your enemy wishes to destroy you. Take this to heart this morning. So what does Jesus do? I pray that your faith won't fail. You don't think faith is important? That's what Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, I pray that your faith won't fail. And so our faith is important. That's what we have to have. And we can't have it if we're walking in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's not how we fight. Don't walk in the flesh. Trying to please God with works, that's walking in the flesh. Trying to live with works, walking in the flesh, living imperviously. All of that is walking in the flesh. That's not allowing yourself to be vulnerable, putting up these walls so that nobody can get to you and nobody can talk to you. All of that is walking in the flesh. And when we walk in the flesh, listen, we're not, we're, we won't fulfill what the Spirit wants us to do, okay? Just like when we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that works both ways. When we walk in the flesh, we won't do what the Spirit wants us to do. So our first adversary is us walking in the flesh. And then familiarity is another adversary. I know you could name 20, 30 adversaries to your faith, but these are big ones. Being familiar, it be, the reason why is because I think these are things that we don't think about all the time. And being familiar, when we get into routines of serving God, things become familiar. Maybe that's even why we're doing this today, because, uh, you know, we're in too much of a routine. God likes to change things up sometimes, do something a little different. What are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, this is different. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to be a part of it. No, God's the same God. It doesn't matter how we worship as long as we do it. Come on, somebody. As long as we do it the way he wants us to do it. But when things become too familiar, they become commonplace. They become unhealthy tradition to us. And this keeps us from recognizing attacks of the enemy because we're too familiar. This keeps us from being sensitive to the move of God because we're too familiar. Watch this. Eugene Peterson, who penned the message translation of the Bible, was a great pastor uh, over the years, passed away recently. But he said this. He said, now listen. He said, it's nearly as hard for a sinner to recognize the world's temptations as it is for a fish to discover impurities in water. Think about that for a moment. It, it's hard for a fish to discover impurities in water because that fish is in water. All, all that it lives, moves, and has its being in the water. And so, it, you know, everything is familiar. Same thing for you and I sometimes. I know it, it, he said it's hard for a sinner, but even for us sometimes, when things get so familiar, it's hard for us to recognize the attack of the enemy or the move of God. 
And then also ignorance of your identity is an adversary to this fight. It's an adversary. The New Testament uses phrases like in Christ. If we don't understand that we're in Christ, we don't understand it. If we don't have it in our heart, and I'm not just talking about head knowledge, I'm talking about heart knowledge as well. If we don't have that in our spirit and know it in our knower, if we don't have it down deep within us, who we are, then we will never win this battle. We'll never be the conquerors or the more than conquerors that Jesus said we are. He, we are, okay? And so if you have adversaries, there's good news. It's going to leave you with a couple of weapons. <laughs> now, I know that Paul talks about the whole, put on the whole armor of God over there in Ephesians. And he talks about putting on the armor of God and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and let our feet uh, have the gospel of peace. And so uh, those, those are weapons. Those are, those, those are our, the armor that we are to use. But just let me give you a couple of other weapons that are practical weapons that you use every day. Once you put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, know that you're fighting for your faith. You're not just fighting against the enemy, but you're fighting for your faith. Now, Paul said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in the next verse, verse 4, I read verse 3 earlier, that we do not, we, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. But in the next verse, he says, the weapons we use in our fight are not the world's weapons, but they're God's powerful weapons, which we use to destroy strongholds, destroy false arguments. We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought, every thought captive and make it obey Christ. You know, the first weapon that you have is the name of Jesus. He gave us that name. Let me tell you, in Acts chapter 2, we are commanded to be baptized in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, a lame man was healed in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, a demon was cast out in the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, the, God calls the church, and the church calls on the name of Jesus, and is sanctified. They're sanctified in the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about the believers being washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Jesus. In Ephesians 5, it says that we give thanks to God in the name of Jesus. You know Philippians 2 that said, uh, every knee shall bow, everyone above the earth, on the earth, and below it, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in Colossians 3.17, it says, whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus. Jesus gave us his name for a reason. It's the reason is because Jesus can't lose. And using his name, you can't lose. When we pray, no matter what we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. John 14, 13, I'm just going to throw some scriptures at, at you here as we get ready to finish up. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask. Now listen, this is Jesus talking. Again, I always like to say, don't think that I'm trying to push some doctrine on you, some, some false doctrine. I'm just reading the words of Jesus. In John 14, 13, he said, whatever. He used the word whatever, whatever, whatever you ask in my name that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, if you ask something in Jesus' name that's not going to glorify the Father, then maybe you didn't read the whole verse because he says it must glorify the Father in the Son. 
the, the Father will be glorified through the Son because the Son did this that you asked in his name. Okay, read the whole verse. But whatever we ask in his name according to the will of God, he will do. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. This is Jesus. He said, I appointed you. Come on. And that you should go and bear fruit. In other words, whatever what I gave you, you have to bring me back more than what I gave you. And by the way, I gave you the power and the knowledge to do that. So don't worry about it. That your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. John 16, 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Remember that asking in Jesus' name means that we acknowledge him as Lord. And I'm just going to say something to you, and I don't know who it might offend, and if the word offends you, then so be it. But I'm going to tell you that, listen, we, when you ask in Jesus' name, you are acknowledging him as Lord. So if you don't believe in God, you're in a, a, another religion uh, that believes in Buddha, uh, whoever else, Muhammad, uh, Allah, or whatever, who, whatever, a number of religions, and you try to ask in Jesus' name, guess what? It's not going to work, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when you ask in Jesus' name, you are acknowledging that he reigns and that he is king, he is supreme, as it says in Colossians. And when we do that, we must submit to his way of doing things. But guess what? His way is the best way. We don't know the best way. But when we ask in Jesus' name, we're saying, I don't know the best way, Lord. You know it, so go. Do your best. Do your best. Psalm 31, 19 says, oh, how great your goodness is, which you have laid up for those who fear you. He laid up. He's got goodness waiting to give to you. Come on. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, 10 says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, always, listen, always having all sufficiency. These are the words in the Bible. Paul told the church at Corinth, always having all sufficiency in all things that may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. God ain't never gave me nothing. Well, maybe you never sowed anything. If you're gonna, are you going to sow it? Or what are you going to do? Are you going to hoard it? Maybe that's why he's never giving you anything. Come on. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increased the fruits of your righteousness. God is on your side. So number one, the name of Jesus. Number two, the word of God. Come on, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful. You need, to, you need to speak the word of God in your situation. So many times we go through stuff and we just start talking about everything that's wrong and everything that's bad and all this that's happened to me and how am I going to do this? And we start talking about people and start talking about folks and really what we should be doing is speaking the word of God. Why? Because it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God will get to you. The word of God, come on, will forge a path for you. The word of God will cause people to change their mind toward you. The word of God will cause favor to come on your life with people who don't want to give you favor. People who don't like you will all of a sudden give you favor because you're speaking the word of God. 
I wish somebody would help me preach this this morning. Matthew 4, 4, he said, he answered and said, it is written that man shall not live. You know it, come on, help me, by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Over in Psalm 119, the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if I'm going the wrong way, it's not because uh, that I, there's a lack of word. I just hadn't used the word of God. It will light your way up for you. Jesus said, heaven will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Psalm of Proverbs 35, 30, verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And Ephesians 6, 17 says, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Come on, somebody, which is the word of God. It's actually your only offensive weapon. Come on, I come into the room. I got the word of God. Get out the way. The word of God is going to do it. The name of Jesus, the word of God, also your thought life. That's number three. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. You don't have peace in your life. Is your mind on God? Is your mind on his word? Come on, your thought life. I won't even go into it this morning, but your thought life is so important. Everything you do begins with a thought. And it's not just the random thoughts that come into your mind. The enemy will throw all kinds of thoughts into your mind. But it's what you dwell on. It's what you mull over. Come on, it's what you concentrate on. Those are the things uh, that really trip us up. James chapter 1, verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith. No doubting. No doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see how important your thought life is? He's saying here that if, you, if you're double-minded, you're unstable everywhere in your, all of your ways. And then lastly, I'm going to leave you with this. I know I keep saying it, but I promise you I'm going to leave you with this. It, your praise and worship is a weapon. It's, now, you don't have to look at it. It's not your offensive weapon. You don't have to wake up and say, I'm going to go defeat the devil, so I'm going to praise and worship. You praise and worship because you love God. But see, in doing that, what you have to understand is that when you worship God, you are defeating the devil. Let me just read to you Psalm 149. It says this, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Come on, he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the God exalt in glory. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Come on. To execute vengeance on the nation and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them with judgment, the judgment that is written. This is honor for all his godly ones. And then it ends just the way it started, praise the Lord. It started saying praise the Lord. It ends by saying praise the Lord. Do you know that your praise brings down strongholds, that your worship, especially when you worship with the word of God, come on, that's a, that's a weapon. Don't view your worship through the lens of the consumer, <laughs> all right? Don't look at worship as if worship needs to do something for me. We need to glorify God. See, if we only see worship as how it affects us, 
then we'll miss out on how it can bring deliverance to us. Why? You are an overcomer. And so one of the biggest weapons our enemy uses is distraction, guys. He'll get us looking one way and he'll attack us from another way. Let's make sure that we're not distracted by fighting those fights that the enemy wants us to fight rather than fighting the good fight of faith, the battles we fight against each other. Come on. The battles we fight against each other are just distractions. That's all it is. Satan tries to get us to focus on him, fight against him, when we should be focused on God. Let us then fight the good fight of faith.